Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxis. Great to have you this morning. We are studying our way through the book of Genesis. Today we are in Genesis chapter 27. So get out your Bibles, uh, take out your notes. Let's get ready to study God's Word. Really popular as of recent has been this reality TV stuff. People are sort of tired with this scripted perfection. They like the unscripted, complete drama and mess that happens in reality TV. That's what everybody is looking for, where the dirty laundry sort of hangs out on the line. Now, 4,000 years ago, they didn't have reality TV. But if they did have it, Genesis 27 would be featured on it. Because it is a complete and total dysfunctional family mess. It's sort of a cross between Duck Dynasty and Keeping Up with the Kardashians. It's one of those kind of chapters where things just go south. It starts that way in the beginning and goes all the way to the end. Now, for the last few weeks, we have been uh, looking at the lives of Isaac and Rebecca. Remember that Isaac was Abraham's son. Rebecca is the, is the daughter-in-law. And uh, Rebecca had a hard time conceiving children. In fact, she was barren for 20 years. But thankfully, God came to her rescue, and she had twin fraternal twin, that is, boys. One named Esau and the other named Jacob. Esau, he was the one who was born first, and he was a hairy guy. And I mean a really, really hairy guy. In fact, there's been some archaeological research that has been done. They found some cave paintings, and they think they know what Esau looked like. And I'd like to show you an artist's rendition of this. There he is. <laughs> okay, uh, the archaeology is not true, but that's Chewbacca. But the, the, the truth is, he was actually about that hairy. You don't believe me? Stick with me through the text. You will find out that's exactly what he's like. Now Esau wasn't just a hairy guy, but he was a hunting guy. He loved to hunt, to kill, to grill. That was his motto in life. I mean, most of his clothes were camo green. And what he did was spend time in the woods with a bow. He sort of smelled like the earth. He's that kind of a guy. Now, Part of the problem with Isaac and Rebecca as they got older is they became a little dysfunctional and they played favorites with their kids. By the way, mom and dad, don't play favorites with your kids. Isaac favored Esau way above his younger son, Jacob. Shouldn't have done it, but that's just what he was. Now, Jacob, he was the younger son. While Esau was the hairy, fuzzy guy, and Jacob was the smooth-skinned guy. He looked like one of those Abercrombie and Fitch models that uses a lot of lotion. You know what I'm talking about? He looked just like that. Uh, he spent all of his time... Sorry, no picture for that one, by the way. Okay. Don't want to cause you ladies to stumble. Uh, but he spent most of his time in the kitchen. He was a mama's boy. He was a guy that was really into making sure his pants were pressed. He wanted to make sure his uh, shirt and his pants were always color-coordinated. You know those kind of guys? You know, we don't have many of them in Spirit Lake, thankfully. 
but this was the kind of guy that Jacob was. And he was also favored, but favored by his mother. Mama loved Jacob. Daddy loved Esau. A big rift right down the middle of the family. Esau was born first, so he should have all the rights and privileges of the firstborn. But before they were born, there was a prophecy that was given. And the prophecy from God was this, that the older would actually serve the younger. That the birth order and the way things would actually take place would actually switch over time in their life. Two weeks ago, we saw how Esau, the man who lives for his appetites, the man who lives for the passion of the moment, and a real short-term thinker, gave away his birthright, something that was literally worth millions of dollars, just for a simple bowl of soup. Foolish guy. Today, we're going to discover how Esau loses the next installment of being the firstborn. And the, everything finally switches around in actuality. He goes from losing the birthright to losing the blessing. And that prophecy that was given before they are even born is completely fulfilled. So let's begin by putting our finger in the text. It's called the battle for the blessing today. What I'm going to do is I'm going to build uh, this message around each of the characters in this story. We'll just take them one at a time and give you one big idea for each character. And then at the end, I'm going to give you one overarching idea for the story that I want you to remember. So let's begin with the first guy. Isaac, here's the big idea for the character. And it's living for pleasure will lead me away from living for God. Living for pleasure will lead me away from living for God. Isaac's story goes like this. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, and that my soul may bless you before I die. If you've been following the story, you know that Isaac was around age 60 when Jacob and Esau were conceived. At this point in the story, Isaac is around age 100. And he is like most of us middle-aged guys. He's starting to need a pair of these things. He's having a hard time seeing things. Except he doesn't just need reading glasses. He's one of those guys that needs those Coke bottle glasses. You know, glasses as thick as bulletproof glass. Because he cannot see worth a darn. This guy is blind as a bat. And unfortunately for him, but fortunately for us, we have Dr. Cornwall and Dr. Norlin in our town. He didn't have them in their town. We have a Dr. Fox to take care of the cataracts. He did not have a Dr. Fox. So what we have is Isaac has become at this point so blind that he could not see to cross the road. That's how bad off he is. Not only is he blind, but at this point in the story, he's also sick. 
He is really sick at age 100. In fact, he is so sick that he thinks he is going to die. Incidentally, he doesn't die. He actually lives for another 80 years. Uh, but you know how it is when you're old and you're sick? What are you thinking is going to happen? You're going to die because every single part of your body hurts. Every, uh, uh, there you go. Now there's speaking from experience right there. You know, but this is what was going on. He thinks he's going to die because he's so incredibly sick and he's so incredibly old. The reality is he's like an old car. He actually has about another 100,000 miles left on him if you just change a couple key parts. You know how that goes. So what he does is he says to his son Esau, go take your bow, go take your quiver, go out, do some hunting shoot some wild game, make that wonderful stew that is so delicious that I love. I'm going to eat it, and then I'm going to give you the official deathbed blessing. This is the incredibly powerful thing in this culture. It's sort of like where you're going to give your rights. It's like your will, your inheritance to your son. Something's interesting here. Did you notice that he wants Esau to cook his, Esau's famous meal, his famous dish? Apparently Esau is not just a good hunter, but Esau is also an incredible chef. He's been on Top Chef. He's competed and he has won. If you are having a wild game feed, who do you want cooking the food? Esau, exactly. And we haven't seen it too far into this text, but it is implied throughout this chapter that Isaac is not just playing favorites with Esau, but he's playing favorites with Esau's cooking above his wife's cooking. Now, men, note to self on this one. Don't you ever tell your wife that you like somebody's cooking more than you like hers. It will not go well for you. She will remember that for a long time, and she will make you pay. And what you can see here is the beginning of the storm clouds gathering between um, Isaac and Rebekah because he is favoring Esau's cooking over hers. The other thing I want you to notice, Isaac and Esau have become very similar to each other. Esau lost his birthright for a bowl of soup. Isaac is about ready to give away the blessing for a bowl of stew. Do you see a parallel there? Esau was a man who lived to satisfy his physical appetites. Isaac has become a man who lives to satisfy his physical appetites. And the problem is this. When you're living for your pleasures, you cannot be living for your God. That's what's going on here. Now, there's another interesting layer in this story that I want you to listen to. Do you realize that what Isaac has just undertaken to do is actually a deliberate act of sin. Isaac knows from the prophecy 
given about Jacob and Esau before their birth, that the older would actually serve the younger. That Esau, as the older one, was not to get this official and incredibly powerful deathbed blessing. But Isaac is playing favorites. Isaac is a man who lives for his appetites, who loves Esau because of his cooking. And so he favors him and intentionally rebels against God's word on this one. And it's not just God's word that he rebels against, but there's plenty of other evidence that he should not be giving Esau this deathbed blessing. Let me show you this. We didn't cover this last week. We skipped over it at the end, but it's very important. Let me read through the end of chapter 26. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. At the very age that Isaac, his father, had done the hard work of searching for a godly woman, of going hundreds of miles to find a godly girl and not marrying the pagan girls of the culture. At that very age, Esau chose to marry a pagan girl around him. Not just one, but two in the same wedding ceremony expressly against his parents' wishes. Can you imagine what that wedding ceremony was like? The parents are down there, here come the brides. You know, like two at the same time. Esau is a man who lives to satisfy his appetites, whether it's his physical appetite, selling his birthright for a bowl of soup, here, it is he living to satisfy his sexual appetites. One woman is not enough. I want two at the same time. And they're pagan women. This should obviously have disqualified him for being part of the Abrahamic blessing. This should disqualify for him for not being the one who receives this official death-bled vesting within which an Deathbed blessing, which involves transfer of inheritance and money and the leadership in the family and the Abrahamic line, he should be completely DQ'd. But Isaac, who lives for his pleasure, is blind to that. Because all he can think of is Esau's good cooking. So Esau is my favorite. And when you're living for your pleasure, you can't be living for your Lord. That's Isaac's story. Let's look at Rebecca. She's the next one on the list. And here's what we learn from her. One sin does not justify another sin. One sin does not justify another. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and to bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock 
Bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. See a guy who's addicted to his appetites here? And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son, Jacob. Now, why was Rebekah listening to an Isaac told Esau to go hunting. Um, maybe it was because she was actually already in that room and Isaac was too blind to realize his wife was there. Maybe it was because Isaac's hearing was just as bad as his seeing and you can't hear things, you start to talk really loud. And when you're living in tents, well, let's just say the walls don't hold down the volume. We don't know exactly how Rebecca came to understand this information, but we do know this. She was an eavesdropper. She was a, a busybody. She was one of those women who sticks her nose in other people's business and then just manipulates. Do you ladies know anybody like that? Do you? You're not one like that, are you? You always know somebody like that. Well, this is exactly what's going on. Rebecca uh, sees what's happening, and she says, you know, this is not right. Isaac should not be giving this blessing to Esau. We know what the prophecy says. We know what es Esau's lifestyle is like. So she decides that her game plan is to trick the trickster. Here's what she says. First of all, she says to Jacob, go and get two young goats. And here's what we're going to do. Why uh, Esau is out hunting deer and making venison, we're going to make the exact same meal with domestic goat. And trust me, I'm going to do it so good that I am going to fool your father's palate. Do you see that idea for her to get even right there? He's never going to know the difference. You like his food? Well, wait till you try my food, buddy. Now, Jacob, he seems to go right along with this, except he says, there's one problem, Mom. I'm the Abercrombie and Fitch dude, and he's the fuzzy guy. What happens if Dad happens to touch me? Instantly he would know the difference, and he could curse me instead of bless me. And what she says is this. If that happens, let your curse fall on me. Now, here's what's interesting. As soon as Jacob realizes there's no consequences for his sin, he doesn't have any problem stepping into sin. 
What he should have said was, Mom, I am not going to lie to my dad. Mom, I'm not going to deceive my dad. I'm not going to manipulate my dad. I'm going to trust God. But as soon as he realized the consequences were gone, he jumped into sin. And aren't we just that same way? If we can escape the consequences of sin, we like to jump right into sin. That's a character flaw, a serious character flaw of Jacob that will get him into a lot of trouble over the rest of his life. Next step, she decides to dress Jacob in Esau's clothing. Now, by the way, Jacob at this point is about age 50. If your mother is still dressing you at age 50, there is a serious problem there. It's sort of an insult to your masculinity at age 50 when mom is putting your clothes on you, right? And this is exactly what's going on here. And she says this, I know I've got a plan. My plan is to make sure that you are uh, not recognized as Jacob, but you're recognized as Esau. We're taking the goat skins, we're putting them on your hands, we're putting them on your neck. All the exposed areas of your body we're covering in animal skin. I told you earlier that Esau was a hairy man. But when you realize that the amount of hair on your dog and the amount of hair on Esau are about the same amount, that is a hairy man. When you cannot tell the difference if you're rubbing your husband's back or the dog. That's the truth. That's what it is. Now, you know, this is interesting. Sometimes you hear about the evolutionary link. You know, I think that's Esau, really. I mean, he, he walks up, right? He carries a tool, and he's hairy like an, ape, and like an ape. So he looks just like the evolutionary link. That's the man here. Everything is set to go. We have Jacob, all dressed for Halloween, wearing his brother's clothes with all kinds of animal skin coming up around the exposed parts of his body. He's carrying mom's super stew that is going to trick dad because she thinks it's better than anything Esau ever had to offer. And so Jacob shuffles into the bedroom in his costume to see dad. And he's going to try and deceive dad. Before we go any further, I just want you to observe something. Talk about a dysfunctional family. These guys, like, all come from the backwoods of Kentucky. You notice that... Isaac and Rebecca in this whole narrative never actually end up talking to each other. They never end up uh, praying with each other. All they end up doing is putting on a fake face and then deceiving each other. When a husband and wife relationship deteriorates to that point, it is a bad way to go. And that's exactly where they are. Here's the application point. Look at the motive for her plan. Isaac has sinned against Jacob and against her. So she thinks she is justified to sin against him. She gets to trick him. You sinned against me, so I get to sin against you. One sin never fixes another sin. Do you understand that? One sin 
when somebody sins against you and you sin back against them, it only makes things worse. It never makes things better. That is what Rebecca doesn't understand. For instance, may you're on Facebook and somebody says something nasty to you on Facebook, something that is uncalled for, something that is hurtful. What do you want to do back to them? Return and say another nasty thing? Because their sin feels like it justifies your sin. It doesn't. And when you sin against them, it'll only beget more sin. Say you're working in business and a guy rips you off. And you start to realize that afterwards. What do you want to do back to him? Rip him right back off. Because after all, once you did that, you'd finally be even. One sin does not justify another sin. Isaac's sin against Rebekah does not justify her sin back against him. You go home. This week your spouse yells at you, raises his voice out of irritation. You say, you know, that's uncalled for. And so what do you want to do? Yell right back at them. You yell at me, I'm going to yell at you. One sin does not justify another sin. Somebody slanders you behind your back. You, dis you discover it. What do you want to do? Slander them right back. The only solution to sin is repentance, not to return the favor. This is what Rebecca should have done. When she discovered what Isaac's nefarious plan was, she should have walked into the bedroom and respectfully rebuked her husband. That's what she should do. Not let one sin justify another sin. And that was her story. Now we're on to Jacob, the next character. And what we discover about him is one lie leads to more lies. One lie always leads to more lies. So he went in to his father, and he said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, Oh, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that, my soul may bless, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? Well, he answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near me that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him, and he said, are you really my son Esau? I am, he answered, I am. And then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate. And he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. 
So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of the heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And Jacob walks in to see his father, and he's dressed just like a Wookiee. He sort of goes in there, and you like how this lines up? Um, first thing we see is he's dressed in Esau's clothes with his steaming stew. And dad asks him, first question, who are you? Right off the bat, the first thing that has to come out of Jacob's mouth is a bold-faced lie to his own dad. His own dad who is too blind to see and too blind to identify. And you can see how Jacob's attitude is. He says, eat the food, hurry up and bless me so I can get out of here. Like Jacob has the original, let's eat and run. He wants to get it over with as quickly as possible. But dad is not satisfied with that. So dad starts peppering him with questions. How did you find this so quickly? And do you like what he does? Jacob then ratchets it up, takes it up a notch, and he brings God's name into this whole thing. God gave me success. You dirty, rotten liar. Yeah, God, it was great. Or, you know, Dad, I went out the door. The deer was just right there in front of me. I got my bow out of its case, had time to notch my arrow, just kept staying right there. Shot it. Perfect shot. It was amazing. The arrow skinned the deer, and it dropped right in the pot. It was just like that. God blessed me. Oh, holy Jesus, thank you for God being so good. You know, because you know, when you start bringing God's name into it, you know, you're, you're really trying to make everybody think that your lie is true. That's what he's doing. He's like putting his hand on the Bible and swearing to God that he's saying the truth. And even an atheist knows that when you put your hand on the Bible and swear to God, then lie through your teeth, you are in a very bad way. That's Jacob, lying like crazy. Dad's still not convinced. Let me feel you. So he feels him, and he feels just like the dog. Nice and fuzzy. Hmm. Voices like Jacob, but trust me, Jacob doesn't feel like my pet. And then he says this, Are you really Esau? He lies again right to his father's face. He thinks his father is on his deathbed. He thinks his father is dying. These are some of the last words that he will ever have with his father is what he thinks he's doing. And what, is it, what does he do? Lies to him, deceives him, calls God's name down in the lie. What a dirty, rotten, cold-hearted snake. <coughs> and then you notice this. Finally, dad believes it. Dad eats the meal, and obviously it tastes just as good as Esau's. Doesn't say a thing. And then what does Jacob give him? You notice the text? Look down there. Wine. 
Did dad ask for wine? No. Why do you think Jacob's given him wine? Let's get him trashed. Let's get him sloshed. Let's get my dying dad buzzed so he doesn't have any good powers of perception, so he'll give me this incredibly powerful deathbed blessing so I can trick him. What a nasty snake in the grass. And then it gets worse. What does his dad say to him? Come and kiss me. Could you imagine kissing your dying father's face? What you think is going to be the, one of the last interactions you have with him, and you're doing it all as a lie. This is the exact same thing that Jesus or Judas did to Jesus. Betrayed with a kiss. Are you getting an idea of how dark this is? What Jacob is doing to his own father on his deathbed? Bad news. Most people don't realize how dark this is. Now, let me just summarize what happens. Does he get the blessing? Yes, he gets the blessing. And this is what it means. He gets the entire farm. He gets the promise of prosperity. He gets dominion over his brothers, plus he gets the Abrahamic blessing. And the covenant will be fulfilled through him. Now, I'm going to come back to the significance of this in a few minutes, but just understand this. When Jacob walked in to deceive his father, he had in his mind that it would be a simple act of deception. But what does sin do? It snowballs. It always gets deeper. It always gets darker. It always gets worse. He went in thinking he would just like say, eat the stew, bless me, and get out. Lied to his father's face at least two times. Invoked God's name once. Kissed his father, swearing that he was telling the truth. You see, sin always begets more sin. When you think that, you know, uh, I'm just going to get a little something wrong, I'm just going to cut the corner, it will always get worse. This, Numbers 32, 23 says this, Be sure your sin will find you out. It won't stay hidden. Now, as I've been preaching this morning and I've been talking about Jacob, for some of you, there's a particular sin that you have been trying to manage, just like Jacob tried to manage his sin, that the Holy Spirit has brought to your mind. And you've realized that your ability to manage that sin is not working too well because you're finding yourself having to tell more lies to keep it covered up. Uh, darker lies, more hideous lies to keep it hidden. Let me tell you, the Bible says that there is no way you can manage sin. Managing sin will always get darker, deeper, and worse. The only way out is to confess your sin and repent of it. You cannot manage sin. You can only confess and repent of it. If the Holy Spirit has brought to your mind a particular area of sin that you are trying to manage this morning, I know how this works. I say amen, everybody walks, they go home, and you forget everything I said on a Sunday morning. 
do not forget the prompting that the Holy Spirit is putting on your heart right now to confess and repent of your sin. Make a note in your notes. Make a note on your hand. Whatever you need to do to make it right. Because if you manage it, it will kill you and eat you alive just like it did to Jacob. Be sure your sin will find you out. And that's Jacob's story. It only gets worse. How about Esau? It says, There is a difference between worldly sorrow and godly repentance. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in for his, from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently, and he said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightfully named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you. And all of his brothers I have given to him for, his, for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? In other words, there's nothing left. Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, Away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Notice God's timing. As soon as Jacob had left after he had deceived his father, Esau came in with the meal. And all of a sudden, Isaac realized he had been hoodwinked. And it says he trembled. He trembled violently. You know what happened? Isaac had a panic attack. You guys ever have one of those? Now, some of you uh, are on medication because you have panic attacks. You know, you just... You've gone through a lot of difficulty in life, and it seems like anything just really sets you off. So you have a medical condition why you are on medication for anxiety and medication for panic. I understand that. That's fine. But some of you have panic attacks, and it's not a medical condition. The problem is a spiritual condition. You have been living in sin, 
and you have been trying to hide your sin, and you have been trying to manage your sin, and you desperately want to make sure that your sin is not found out. And whenever the phone rings, you jump. You're afraid it's somebody who's finally going to call you to carpet, to the carpet on what you've done, and your deep, dark secrets are finally over. When you're in the hall after church, you never look somebody straight in the eyes because you don't want them looking into your eyes because you're afraid that a church person, a Christian, could see into your soul and discover the real deep, dark truth about what's going on in your life that nobody else ever knows. So you're living in a perpetual state of panic attack. And if you get caught, you fall apart. It's like a, a guy who's been spending all of his time looking at internet pornography, and all of a sudden his wife walks in and sees him on the computer. <laughs> what does he do? Yeah, you're caught. It's over with. You wish you hadn't been born. That's exactly what is going on in Isaac's life. His deception has been found out. It's over with. That's why he's shaking so hard. Here's what you don't understand that you see as you study the text. Esau and Jacob are twin brothers, right? And what happens is Isaac's plans were to cut Jacob out of the inheritance. His plans were to give everything to Esau, give him the entire farm, give him the promise of prosperity, give Esau promise of rulership over his brothers, and give Esau the promise of the Abrahamic blessing, and to leave Jacob penniless. That's pretty dark on Isaac's plan, isn't it? But what happened when it got switched around and Isaac was deceived, Jacob ends up with everything, leaving Esau, technically penniless. This is why he's shaking so hard. Because his dark deception has been found out and everything has backfired. This is why when Esau says to his dad, don't you have any blessing left for me? Isaac essentially says, no, I don't have anything. I signed the entire inheritance over to Jacob's life. It's totally backfired. Now Esau, he cries and he cries, but I want you to realize something. Esau's cry is not a cry like you and I would experience. It's a cry of worldly sorrow. It's not a cry of godly sorrow, because worldly sorrow, you cry for what happened to you, but then you don't change. You just keep living your life the way you usually do. Godly sorrow, you cry, but you let the brokenness in your life lead you to repentance, and you change, and you repent of your sin, and you go in the different direction. Esau, even though he's broken for what happens to him, he does not change. He does not go in a different direction. Let me tell you how I know this. You get into the next chapter, and this is what you find. Esau has already married two pagan women at age 40, right? Two brides, one wedding. What we discover he does is he then goes and he marries a third woman. This guy is the original sister wives. And he marries uh, 
descendant of Ishmael. Ishmael and Hagar, remember them? They're like the bad dream of the family. They were sent away so they would have nothing to do with God's people whatsoever. What does Ishmael do? Goes and gets one of their kids and marries them back into the family as a way of insulting his parents and in his rebellion against God. That's why he marries the third wife, the descendant of Ishmael. This is like a teenage daughter wanting to rebel against her parents. So she's so excited because she's in the dating aids. So what she does is she ends up with this boyfriend who's 10 years older than she is, who had like barely passed high school, doesn't even have a car, can just ride a bicycle, you know, missing most of his teeth and covered in tattoos. And it's like, that's my boyfriend, you know, and brings him home to mom and dad because she knows what's going to happen. She's going to watch mom and dad's head, heads explode. And you could just hear dad pouring the rock salt down the shotgun barrel, you know, for when this guy comes over. Because it is her way of acting in rebellion against her parents. I'm going to have a boyfriend that my parents can't stand. That's Esau. I'm going to marry a chick who is supposed to be completely cut out of our family line. Wait till you see what my parents do with this one. You see, his sorrow is worldly sorrow. It's not godly sorrow because it doesn't lead to actual repentance. Let me just read the last text. And here's the last point. Sin never pays. This puts all the pieces of the story together. Now Esau hated Jacob because of, his, of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. <laughs> then who will get the inheritance? He will. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Esau shows his true colors as really not a man of God because he plans to murder his brother Jacob. But here's what I want you to put all these pieces together and remember. Isaac. Isaac, uh, he thought his sin was a good idea because it was going to give the inheritance to the sin he loved to the son he loved, but his sin didn't pay because sin never pays. In fact, it backfired, didn't it? It exposed his sin. And by giving all the, attempting to give all the inheritance to one son, he actually gave none of the inheritance to the son he loved. Rebecca's sin backfired because sin never pays. She manipulated and she schemed to try and get the inheritance to Jacob, the son she loved. 
But you know what happens? Because of the way she went about things with her sinful response to her husband's sin, Jacob, her son, is forced to flee. He's forced to flee in the next chapter. And she never sees him again. She dies without ever seeing him again. She loses the son she loves because of her sin, because sin never pays. Jacob, he successfully deceived his father. He is now the multi-million dollar heir of the entire estate and the one who has the Abrahamic blessing. But in the next chapter, you find him running for his life with nothing but the clothes in his back and the stick in his hand. That's all he gets away with because sin never pays. Esau, the man who lives for his appetites, the man who lives for his lusts, by marrying two pagan women and then by ultimately marrying a third Ishmaelite woman in rebellion to his parents, has officially cut himself out of being part of God's promise. Sin never pays. But here's my point to you. Why sin never pays, there is one hero. And he's not in this chapter, but he comes much later in the Bible. And the hero picks up the words of Rebecca and he applies them to himself. And he says, may the curse fall on me. The hero's name is Jesus. Because why sin never pays, our hero Jesus pays for our sin. He paid for the sin of Isaac. He paid for the sin of Rebekah. He paid for the sin of Jacob. And He paid for your sin and my sin. Amen? Amen. Amen. Dear Jesus, we come before you and we thank you so much that you are so gracious and you are so good and so kind. Why sin never pays, thank you for your incredible love in spite of our sin, where you paid for sin. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us and may God continue to enrich your life.